Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcasing a planetary leadership. My name is Julian Gudelai, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Jeremy Pfeiffer, co-founder and CIO at Cairo Space Technologies, scientist, entrepreneur, water education advocate. He's specialized in experimental validation of non-conventional resonance-based technologies. And among his many interests, primary are the, the, the sympathetic vibratory physics, water, and consciousness. And so I'm really excited for a conversation about consciousness and water. And so welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's wonderful to be here with you and uh, to be inspired in this moment and discuss uh, one of our passions, which is the uh, blue planet and water, and uh, also water's uh, uh, integrated with the green planet as well. Yeah, you got it. I, I love how you, you bring this right back to Green Planet, Blue Planet, because it's really like, I feel like one of the no-brainer passions living on a water planet is to learn and understand as much as possible about water and not just water as a commodity, but obviously like the consciousness within water and then us being water creatures, right? Like, like maybe let's, let's just start there entering into this topic and this like really vast topic. Like we're born as like what, 90% water or something like that? Yeah, we're, we're born around 95% water, and, and when we pass, you know, we're about 80% water. So that just shows us the, the majority of our body is made up of water. And, um, you know, as, as one of my mentors, uh, Gerald H. Pollack of the University of Washington likes to say, when you have uh, light and particles and water, you have life. And so um, we, are, we are that life and particles and water I, yeah that's you know that it's such a mind-boggling topic and i want to find a really good entry point and so because i know we could go into all kinds of phenomena around water that you've been part of researching but also just the the way that consciousness travels and communicates between bodies of water both external bodies of water but then also us as humans right and so Let's maybe start somewhere at the beginning where like your fascination with the topic of water, uh, vibratory um, phenomena picked up and like some of the highlights of, of your career so far that kind of shows people from which yeah. you're looking at. For sure. I, I can kind of take you back to the beginning, which is very much a mirror of what's going on now. So back in 2007 and eight, I was going through my own little awakening process, much like I see a lot of the the new like school millennials have been picking up in this last you know five or six years and, and really pushing hard. So I was part of that early wave and in, in, in uh, earlier wave in, in um, 06 and 07 and I was doing communications, news and documentary work. Um, that was my predominant um, mode for, for working and, and making an income and, and I really fell in love with it because it taught me about the human experience and understanding like um, uh, a vast array of topics from just, you know, learning about story and, and people's story and how to, how to, how to uh, um, basically ingest and digest and then mirror back those stories to people. And so um, I ran into a story about water um, through some corporate social responsibility pieces that I was producing for a company in Bali, a couple large corporations that were trying to give back to the communities that they were working with. Um, in terms of um, water remediation projects and things like that. And I ran into uh, this one gentleman who was working with dousing and he was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to actually douse for water for corporations to be able to show where to drill for water and, and how to plan for water and, and to how to plan for the infrastructure depending on where the water was located underground. And uh, right about that time, I was already starting to do quite a bit of like um, meditation, like Qigong practice and, and things like that. So I was already aware of, of what was happening around me as I was awakening. And there was a lot of uh, interesting talk about spirituality. And so I started realizing that water was a big part of that and that there was a, some conscious connection to water. And, uh, you know, a little, little time after that, I was working with um, uh, uh, trying to understand how I could visualize vibration and water and light. And that came about through a vision that I had um, through a DMT experience um, that, I, that I experienced. And I saw this color wheel in that vision. And it, it almost looked like one of those Adobe Photoshop color wheels with like the little strips of light, but it, it had in the color and it had all these little light languages on it. And so 
when I was experiencing this in the DMT trip, I had this like overwhelming feeling of love and it, it was turning in this direction. And then all of a sudden I got a little bit insecure because it was such a powerful experience that it started turning in the opposite direction. And so I saw this balance between like consciousness and water and, and light and, and color and energy. And I just wanted to explore a little bit more about that. And so when I, I came back to, I, I, I did a little bit of research and I found the science of cymatics. And so I put all my time into recreating all of those technologies and those projects to, to replicate those beautiful patterns and symmetries, which you see in the cymatics work. And I did pretty good at it, actually. Um, I, I was able to replicate all the work from Hans Jenny and what I was able to find at the time from John Stuart Reed and some other people that were doing it. This was still a little bit early. Uh, there wasn't many people that were into the cymatics yet, but it was the closest thing I could find to that vision I had in the DMT. And, um, and so what I did was I, I put out this whole series of imagery and I, I uh, posted it all over the internet. And, and so what happened was, is I had um, the Dr. Emoto's um, foundation reach out to me and, and ask me a little bit about my work because my cymatics imagery looked very much like water crystals. And so that's kind of like how um, I, I was really drawn into to, um, the whole water and consciousness topic with Dr. Emoto. And up until that time um, with the cymatics imagery, I'd done a lot of extrapolations of those standing wave patterns, um, the geometry, the harmonics, um, and also the number theory behind those geometries and, and harmonics. And um, I, I came up with this whole vibratory concept uh, of, of how basically consciousness and water and light, how they all interact and how it's, it's essentially a, a musical concept, a musical universe. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that you you went straight into, you know, like a an out of body kind of, you know, psychoactive experience. This is actually one of my questions that I, I always have ready in case somebody wants to go there is like, what what kind of mindful experience might be in someone's personal, you know, repertoire of experiences that has opened up a complete different cosmos of understanding. So I didn't know this, Jeremy, and I think that that is, it's quite actually fascinating because we know DMT happens to be a substance that is connecting all of life, actually, if we, if we look deeper into it, right? That is like present in basically all living species and substances on this planet in some way, shape or other, just similarly to water. And so very curious link there. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, there was a time too where um, I didn't freely, you know, give that information up, but I just thought it's such a beautiful moment that I experienced that really kind of brought me to where I am, that it, it's part of the story. And so it's, it's now uh, a part of what I like to share and let people know it, it was a big opening experience for me, mind opening experience. Yeah, and, and even more kind of mind boggling that that connected you to something that you couldn't really pin down and like say exactly what it is, but you, you like replicated it and just followed your own guidance to put it out there. And then Dr. Masuro Emoto and his team, who like some of the people listening might, might know or remember, that's where a lot of the water research in terms of like what happens to water molecules and how, how do they change when we pray to them, talk to them, infuse them with uh, conscious energy of, of either positive or negative prayer and thinking, right? And so um, you then turn part of that team. Is, is that what happened next? So like what happened next in kind of your own career that you realize, okay, I'm going to fully commit to vibratory uh, phenomena and water specifically? Okay, well, you know, about that same time, I had found another mentor named Dale Pond, who um, basically opened up a whole new world to me in terms of sympathetic vibratory physics. And that, um, you know, modes of vibration and the specific angles of modes of vibration is, is how polarity is expressed throughout nature. And so within the cymatics imagery, you have this geometry that is expressed in, in these symmetries and these ratios and these specific angles. And what that is, that's essentially uh, displacements of high and low pressure within that dynamic geometry set that's been given off by the surface topology of the vibrating water and the light refraction. And so it really taught me about the, the whole nature of, of vibration that, that is um, vibration, oscillation, and spin, they're all, one unit of dynamic motion. They're not separate from each other. Just like, um, you know, just like electricity, magnetism, and gravity. They're all kind of nested together as one. And so um, part of that work, there was some, there was some discussion that um, if you really scale all the way down to the interatomic levels, 
that uh, there is this sympathy with the conscious observer and these tiny little wavelengths and vibrations. And that's on the scale of molecules and, and atoms. And so um, I saw this like little connecting link there with what Emoto was saying, because Emoto's whole thing was that, you know, that you could pray, pray to, to water and you could, you could affect water with, with your consciousness. But I really wanted to understand that from more of like a quantum mechanics um, perspective and, and more from a, a more of a scientific perspective. And so what I found was, is uh, that there is a connection between, you know, uh, wavelengths of, of the brain and wavelengths that are happening on the atomic scale and interatomic scale. So there must be some kind of sympathetic connection. And, and, and so I, I went down another path um, with uh, the conference on the physics, chemistry, and biology of water, which you can actually look up uh, the, the, the conference at waterconf.org, W-A-T-E-R-C-O-N-F.org. And there's quite a bit of um, amazing scientists doing work with water um, on an academic and, and private institution um, uh, research level, and also a lot of people that are bridgers like myself who have kind of worked in, in both sectors and the non-conventional and conventional. And we have, you know, Nobel Prize laureates like Luc Montagnier and, uh, and Brian Josephson, um, you know, Gerald Pollack, who's chaired the conference from the University of Washington. He's basically um, proposed a theory of fourth phase of water, which is essentially um, not liquid, not solid, not gas, but more of a structured phase within water. And that's where the information is carried. And, and that information is a carrier perhaps for, for uh, the conscious observer or, or, or consciousness. Yeah, let's, let's unpack this a little further. So classically, you know, if we're like more in the Newtonian kind of paradigm worldview, water is either liquid, solid or gas, right? And so what we're observing once we go more into the like quantum entanglement, quantum mechanics uh, perspective of, or paradigm of, of how we understand the universe. And this is largely something humanity is, is developing as we speak, right? So what are some of the phenomena that we can already track that are happening through water that we can maybe see that there, there is some kind of, as you say, like observer influences what's actually happening within, within the molecular structure or within the water itself? Yeah. Well, water is an interesting phenomenon because it goes back to the whole polarity. And like in the cymatics, I was talking about the high, high pressure and low pressure displacement that creates this dynamic polarity and polarity creates almost like this tapestry of, of, of how energy is expressed through pattern and symmetry and in those dynamics. Well, the same thing is actually happening within the matrix of water. You have, you know, the hydrogen oxygen covalent bonds. Those are a polarity type dynamic that are forces that are connecting to each other. You can consider it, consider it almost like little magnets, how everything kind of fits together. And there's these van der Waal forces that kind of hold that whole system into place. And, and you could really look at that from a vibrational aspect as well. And there's what's called, you know, the protons, and, and there's a proton tunneling effect that's happening throughout this water matrix that's kind of creating this quantum soup dynamic between all of the molecules in the water where they're communicating with each other. And so that's, it's, it's very, very much um, a model that once you scale to like, you know, the quantum entanglement concept, it's the same thing that happens there too. You have, you, you have like this entanglement effect that's happening at that scale as well from the, the micro to the macro. So it's almost like the little, the, the proton tunneling effect is happening on that micro scale. Well, the same thing is happening more on, on the external on that more of the macro where you have the conscious observer and you have the, the actual um, larger scale systems interacting with those smaller scales. And so there's this like feedback loop that actually occurs between those two scales, it's almost like a bridge. And the bridge is the observer, the conscious observer. And I can tell you in a minute, after we kind of exchange a few more comments about how we found ways to measure that, which is really what I'm excited about. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna know more about that for, for the sake of this conversation, but really it's also something that I just personally am fascinated with. You know, we know in, in more esoteric circles, it's like we kind of learned and understood that as we think and speak, we, we kind of create reality or like there's a strong correlation between what we think, see, talk and project and how reality kind of echoes that back. But it's still, as I said, it's more on the esoteric end of, of things or more on the, on the quantum side of, of understanding reality. But, 
But now through the research with water, it starts to appear that we can prove that there is an actual correlation. And then if we look at the state of the world and we look at a lot of the chaos that's going on, uh, a lot of the separation and the consciousness of separation, it kind of starts making a lot of sense why we're seeing so many of these effects that just mirror that kind of chaos and separation that, that, are, that are going on in people's, people's individual cosmos. Absolutely. And, and how you could actually think about in a physical mechanical way, how you can connect that microscopic interatomic scale all the way up to the macro level and even to the cosmological scale, but really just right here where we're at on this plane um, is, is a set of dominoes, right? If you have a, the smallest, tiniest domino that you set here and you have them like in perfect harmonic ratio all the way to maybe out on the, the horizon of some mountain range. And all you would need is just a little bit of tiny pressure to push that first domino to create an effect to where you could almost cascade all of that energy to the other side of the dominoes and actually move a mountain by just a little bit of pressure. And so that's the same kind of exchange that I'm talking about where everything kind of lines up vibrationally and, 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 and specific um, uh, forces and dynamics to where we can connect, you know, interatomic scale all the way to the macroscopic. And um, I'd like to tell you a little bit about some of the, the measurement devices that we ran into. Go ahead, yeah. Okay, this is really fun. Okay, so when I was at the conference on the physics, chemistry, and biology of water, um, I worked really hard to integrate myself and understand the science from conventional and non-conventional aspects. And a lot of the topics went back to like homeopathy because homeopathy was like the closest thing that they could come to to really express and explore this whole fourth phase of water dynamic, right? Because, um, you know, these ultra high dilutions can actually hold an informational copy of some kind of substance or, you know, even intention, but in this case of homeopathy, a substance, and it could be utilized to treat the body for some kind of ailment. And, and there's a lot of qualitative uh, research that has shown that, that homeopathy works. And so they're, they're looking for mechanisms, they're looking for theories, they're looking for ways to explore this, including, you know, people like Luc Montagnier, who um, is a Nobel Prize laureate, who actually kind of, um, you know, went down the rabbit hole with, with this whole homeopathy thing. And so um, I had the opportunity to work with a, a scientist um, named Serge Kernbach. He's one of my mentors. And we were utilizing um, electrochemical impedance spectroscopy, which is basically two electrodes in water, anode, cathode, measuring the electrical impedance between the two electrodes. And on such a level that we're able to measure the, the slight subtle changes in conductivity and impedance within the water sample that we're measuring. And to such a degree that we were able to measure the effect of say water, that had been affected by a homeopathy, a homeopathic remedy, or uh, in, in a minute, I'll tell you more about the consciousness, um, and water that has not, like a control group. And we were consistently able to show that. And so um, we were utilizing this, this, this fairly conventional method of, of measurement to um, explore, does, does, does homeopathy actually have any kind of um, efficacy to it? And, and we, were, we were seeing that. Um, and we were seeing um, effects, we weren't, all that successful on characterizing it because how do you actually characterize the difference between these subtle states and, and that's what we're working on in longer terms but what's interesting what we found is through the experiment process we noticed that the experiment setup was sympathetic to the conscious observer of the experiment the experimenter and so we we thought my god this is actually picking up the, the connection to the experimenter. And normally in science, we're always trying to control for those variables in those environments. And we do our best to do that. Uh, but sometimes you can't because you have the experimenter in the middle of, of the experiment process. And so um, right away, we started exploring the device and its, its capabilities and use to be able to measure um, the conscious observer effect on water. And what that's very uh, similar to is, is like, you know, the double slit experiment when you have a third state measuring the system, the, the wave function collapses, and then you see an effect, right? Well, the same thing that's happening electrochemically in that little water sample, when you're setting up the electrical field around the, the uh, electrodes, which is called the double layer effect, by the way, um, it's a really very gentle fulcrum, a very sympathetic fulcrum that is, is, is basically um, able to measure the, the slightest change in water and, and it's measuring the conscious observer effect. And so, um, we took that 
uh, to, to a whole different level. We, we wrote some papers on it. We actually have a platform where you can actually log on to a live sensor located in Stuttgart, Germany. There's a water sample sitting there live that if you sign up, you can actually set up a time for yourself to meditate over the water and you can show the effect that's being charted over time. Um, and, and, and so we're using it to, to explore all kinds of things with consciousness. That's fascinating. So in that life experiment, and maybe this is something really cool for people to experience, um, we'll make sure we'll find links to all of the things you're mentioning uh, today. So I can basically book a time slot and meditate with that water sample and then see how the molecular like state changes or yeah, like you could say molecular, but I'd say the energetic levels within the water because water, there's the Brownian motion, the water's always moving in femtoseconds, it's always changing its state, but the actual, the charge polarity that's happening within the system, right, because everything is based off of the poles and the charges within the matrix of, of the medium, the energy exchange is what we're actually seeing changes in, the impedance and the conductivity, which, yes, would indicate that there's something happening on the physical molecular level, but that's the whole myth here with water research and, and people are trying to understand the structured water and the fourth phase of water. That's why those are all still theories because we're still trying to understand what's happening on the molecular level. Um, but uh, we're getting closer to it. And that's why when we measure water, we're using like uh, pH, conductivity, ORP. Those are all subject to electrical uh, like static electrostatic charge dynamics and so if you think about it everything in the universe is essentially in a, in a dynamic state of electromagnetism electrostatic uh, polarity and in um, you know there's a lot of people doing work right now with with researching um, unifying you know this whole cosmological model around this these ionization states within within matter um, I know Nassim Haramine's been working on that lately, and there's also quite a, other, a lot of conventional uh, scientists working on, on those, those models as well. And, and it's interesting, too, because like, if you look at how like, um, the chart of the nucleides and the isotopes, if, if you really look at that, it's, it's almost like a harmonic cascade. And, and the way we plot them on the charts, we see them from a side. If we were to take that chart and go down the center, right? and we had like a center axis, you'd actually see that dynamic happening like this harmonic musical logarithmic spiral that's expressing itself of how like, you know, how um, these charge dynamics are happening within, within matter on the atomic scale and how they express themselves, their, their vibrational wavelengths. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating because I think you know, we, we can we can agree that everything is vibration, and so everything has an electromagnetic charge. And so, you know, this this former kind of status quo that everything is matter and atoms is already kind of like literally, as I mentioned earlier, it's an old paradigm understanding. And so, as we're going forward into getting better and better at describing this on a scientific level, and then also, you know, this is me representing more like the mainstream understanding right now because I know you're you're more the expert on the topic. I think it's fascinating to just look at like some of the obvious um, pieces around water vibration and, and, and wavelength in that sense or electromagnetic charge. Like if we take, um, you know, our societal development, I, I think it makes total sense that for a long time, the desire was simply get water to as many places as possible, because obviously we want to create a, a society where, you know, it's guaranteed that you open the tap and there's water. And, and now that we're in 2020, I guess this is something that most of us either take for granted or just have as like a status quo that's normal. And we know not everyone on the planet quite yet. And so this is another thing we're, we're working on. But the first time I stumbled upon this topic a few years ago, like I got fascinated with this understanding that if you take water and pressurize it through tubes and literally like rectangular uh, kind of more mechanically thought out infrastructure, Basically, from, from a, an energetic point of view, what, what comes out of the other side is, I mean, it's water, but it's depleted of its electromagnetic charge. And if you look at water in like a Zen garden in a Japanese kind of uh, way of cultivating Zen gardens, it's like the, it's breaking and flowing over rocks and stones and through moss and grass. And so there, for me, you know, and again, this is more like my, my way of trying to make sense with with it but there is an energetic charge that the earth has which we know we can measure you know Schumann resonance which 
that has been changing for the last few years, but there's a charge in the earth, there's a charge in the way the water is kind of flowing with nature. And now what we've done as humans, we've completely abstracted it and taken it as just a commodity. And so for me, if I take one plus one, it, like, it, it's really simple to say like, there must be more behind it because just seeing it as like a dead mass that just needs to go from A to B, it, it's almost like it makes no sense. And, you know, I think understanding pH levels and, and all this is a good first step, but I got really fascinated and deeply looked into the, like, um, water and the charge of water and like magnetic charge of water and how to reintroduce that in your home environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I love that you touched upon, you know, some of the hydrological cycle of, of water there and how it meanders down the stream. And, and it's a story that I, I always used to like to tell. And so let's kind of explore it, right? Cause it's so fun, right? So you have the nucleus that, that is in the sky that's given off by the tree or, or some kind of, um, dynamic system below, and, and, and you, you have the, the charge dynamic of that. I believe it would be a negatively charged system, right? And then the precipitation starts to form around that particle. And so this is water starting to form in its immature state. And then it starts to, to reach a critical mass and density, and then it starts to fall to the earth, right? And it falls to the earth, and it reaches to the forest floor, and then it goes down into like an aquifer. And, and these are all polarity dynamics that are happening as, as it's starting to go through this process, right? You have hot, cold, light, dark, you have all these natural dynamics that are happening that are, are, are expressed in polarities as this formation is happening. And so it goes down into the aquifer of the earth and then all of a sudden it starts reaching a certain temperature that the water starts to mature and then it starts to rise back up to the spring. And when it rises up to the spring, then it starts to, to, to come out of the spring and meander down the, the 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 creek bed or 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 the or, or the or the the river bed depending on how how large of a stream it is, and what it's doing is it's interchanging. It's it's expressed in polar dynamics. It's it's going to one bend of the river to the other bend of the to the river or stream, and it's expressing itself in these what what Walter Russell likes to say is rhythmic balanced interchange. It's a system that's constantly in motion and it's always expressing itself in polarities around a central fulcrum. It's like that figure eight. And so while water's doing that, it's picking up structure, it's picking up charge, it's picking up minerals, it's, it's becoming more mature. And they say a certain distance from the spring head is where you wanna drink. Um, I don't have that specific number off the top of my head and you could look it up, but there's a certain distance from the spring head that you're supposed to drink when water is most mature. And it's such a beautiful story of how the hydrological cycle expresses itself. And those polarities, just like I was talking about in cymatics, high pressure, low pressure, and those, those have a certain kind of construct to them. Those are the same polarity, polarities that are being expressed in that whole hydrological cycle. And so for me, that's why the vibrational science has always been an important toolbox for me because I can go in to any system that I wanna build or research or understand and, and, and look at it from this whole, vibrational aspect and, and how if I want to optimize a system or make it more efficient, I'm always looking at it from this, this, these modes of vibration, this vibrational construct. And it, it, it's always gives me this really strong insight. It's, it's where it's, it's what's brought me to where I'm at now. Yeah. And I think, I'm not sure if he was one of the first ones, but who I have to think back of is Victor Schauberger and like the whole work around like living water and, you know, today we would probably call this biomimicry, you know, like understanding the inherent intelligence in the natural phenomena in, in, in the cosmos in that sense. And um, there's a quote and I just, I just pulled this up and it's like, he, he said, actually the mysteries of water are similar to those of the blood in the human body. In nature, normal functions are fulfilled by water just as blood provides many important functions for mankind. Absolutely. And so that's why, that's why um, water and hydrodynamic systems are such a great model for, for theories and like quantum physics and things like that, because the way water exchanges energy and it's in that rhythmic balanced interchange, interchange uh, it's volume versus pressure. And that's like the essence of everything. It's an exchange of volume versus pressure. If we could understand um, all the, the, the systems that we're researching from that perspective, it makes things very clear on, on how to uh, optimize them and make them more efficient. And uh, for example, we see it in the Carnot cycle um, and, and we see it like in refrigerants and different types of azeotropic fluids and things like that. Like it's, it's, it's how, to, how the thermodynamics and the volume and pressure are exchanged and how, how to work with those dynamics and optimize them. 
And Victor Scharberger knew very much how to actually work with those dynamics and how to model those, those dynamics. And he, he actually observed them in, in the nature, in the forest, and how the streams would go from one side to the other, one side to the other. And, and those are those polarity exchanges. And so you can take those dynamics and engineer them and speed them up to be able to have control over an oscillating system. And that's eventually where he ended up. I mean, he was supposedly, you know, building prototype flying saucers for the German uh, army, I think, at one point, right? If I, if I understand how the story went. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of, of those kind of stories that are kind of kept in the, in the more hidden pockets. I mean, if we understand resonance and vibration, another one who really went deeply into that is Nikola Tesla, right? That um, is largely responsible for a lot of the electro um, phenomena in our current society. And there's a lot of his research too that went far beyond what we're currently calling normal. And we know that a lot of these, these discoveries take decades if not a century to kind of go through the resistance of, of the you know the resistance that humans have shown to have against what's new and the new understandings and new paradigms and so a lot of what's carrying out right now i mean we don't need to go as far as to know if, if tesla and schauberger were part of creating saucers but a lot of what's going on right now is still just a carrying out of the agreements around the newtonian paradigm of everything is traceable into atoms and, and matter and yeah, what um, you know, Schauberger talked about, and, and, and we'll get into Tesla in a minute. And I have some interesting insight on some of that stuff from a vibrational aspect. Is so, anytime you have an expanding entropic wave, right? You have an ex a wave that's expanding, and it's subject to the the square law, right? So it's expanding and 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 it's 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 building an energy as it grows. To just put it simply, there's also a return wave that's collapsing back to center at a higher rate of velocity and energy level than what it expanded. And it's the centropic or the centripetal forces that are collapsing to center that are actually what we're searching for, the holy grail of like how to utilize these forces to like, you know, create an over unity system or, or, or a continuous motion system or a system that has higher efficiencies uh, than what we conventionally understand in science. And so I think, where, where science has kind of gone awry, even though we, we've done well for ourselves. I mean, we, we have all kinds of amazing technologies and understandings and a lot of these models and theories have been proven out. But what hasn't been really vetted out properly is that collapsing wave back to center and how to utilize that. And I think that's what we've been getting at, not only metaphysically, right? We're coming back to center. We're taking in the breath and we're bringing all those energies into the center and then all of a sudden we're like empowered and charged. Well, that same thing happens in a physical vibrating oscillating system that we can optimize. So Scharberger understood that. Like he talked about how the salmon swims upstream, right? Well, how the salmon would use these little vortex, these little vortices that, that, that form around their bodies to like build up enough pressure and then utilize that collapsing wave to shoot upstream and get up swim upstream which almost seems like impossible to do but it can be done and so that same kind of concept and idea can be can be leveraged and exploited in a lot of different um, technologies and processes um, it, i'll talk with you again in the future about some technologies that we're putting together that, that how we leverage these ideas of these um these dynamics but essentially um Tesla was understanding it from a more um, electrodynamics perspective, where the pressure and volume that, that Scharberger was exploring through hydrodynamics, well, the same thing was happening with what Tesla was, was seeing in terms of creating resonance with an electromagnetism. And so, um, you know, Tesla, you know, was talking about frequency and vibration. And if we understood those, we'd understand the nature of the universe. And there's that quote out there about the 369. Totally. Well, what, what all that comes down to is, is this goes back to some of the cymatics work that I did in the earlier days when I did all the, the mathematical and geometric extrapolations of these waveforms. Essentially, what happens is, is you have electricity and magnetism and they have angles of incidence. And so there's predominant states of, of pressure within this electrodynamics. And so those relate to the three, six, and nine. And so depending on, on where those angles are, right? you have a system that will be predominantly collapsing the center, or if depending on the angles of incidence or change, they'll be uh, expanding apart or disassociating, or if there's a perfect balance of the two, you'll, you'll, you'll have a balanced fulcrum um, system. And so the whole idea of three, six, and nine is how that 
volume versus pressure dynamic really expresses itself in, 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 all, in all vibration phenomena. And, and they're really just ratios and proportions. And, and there's a lot of people working on that now in, in terms of like how they're expressed through number systems and the prime number systems. Like Robert Grant uh, over at Strathsby Crown has been doing a lot of work with that exploration. Um, and, and, and there's just this whole uh, interesting dynamic that if you can understand how to leverage that, then you can, you can optimize a system. You can make something more efficient. Truly exciting discoveries ahead of us, I think, also, you know, or, or some of them to integrate that have already been somewhat discovered and understood, but simply not been, been fully integrated into a larger understanding. Also, as we've inherited a lot of old infrastructure from generations before us, right, like a lot of the infrastructure housing or, or technologies we use, they were like magic if we look back two, three hundred years, but for us now they're commonplace, right, and so we're definitely ready for, for even more evolution. And I want to hear what's coming next for you in, in just a little bit. Um, but maybe first, let's, let's ask you just a, a few personal questions that I'd, I'd love to understand. And so one of the questions I ask in almost every episode is around trust, because I really believe trust is one of the, the ways we relate as humans. And it's one of the ways we actually are able to, at the speed of trust, is the way we, we're able to evolve. And so I want to understand from you, Jeremy, like, what is required for you personally to develop and experience trust? Well, you know, that's been evolving over the years. Um, if you asked me back in 2006 and seven, when I was like just waking up, I was like, all is free. I trust the world. I trust everything. And it, and it actually was a strong mechanism that, that brought me back because it, it, it really kind of gave me that safe space, almost like that bubble that, that you know, you're just kind of in that, that you can, you can just kind of go with trust and love and gratitude. And, and I still go there, but I've also come a long way um, um, over the last decade or so. And, and I've, you know, run into a lot of interesting situations where you have certain knowledge like this, and it becomes almost like the ring, you know, and how, who do you trust it with? And, and, and who do you, who do you essentially like, you know, uh, choose to work with? Because we still have to deal with human experiences and dynamics where, you know, some, sometimes people might not, might not, might not actually deserve to have to be trusted, you know? So, you know, it's sometimes those are hard lessons to learn, but overall for me, trust is just kind of like basic instinct. I mean, you gotta, it has to be in a predominant state for you to kind of grow and succeed. So I think I'm trying to focus as much as I can, as I grow into, understanding how to, to make that trust center point. But like I said, it can be tough. It can be tough sometimes. Yeah, there's, there's a William Shakespeare quote, and I know I'm, I'm butchering it most likely and also only taking it out of context because there's more to it. But the first few parts of it is like love all, trust a few and do wrong to none. Right. And yeah. Very interesting how, that is an answer that has shown up before is like trust trusting all is is maybe also counter to just where we're at in the human experience well thanks for the answer um i have, I have another one which is just really grounded in terms of where your journey has taken you i, I want to just understand like three of your most favorite places on this planet earth okay um that would be pretty easy right now okay so i'd say pi thailand because i did my qigong teacher training there and I had like this 30 day experience where I did a five element Bagua Feng Shui form on the river every morning. I was living in this hut and I was wearing the rice pants way before it was cool to wear in the yoga studios. And like, I was like really finding myself, man. And like, I was learning about like, you know, new environments and I was seeing that, that, you know, being out in the world was a really special opportunity because it really opens your mind to bigger and better things that are beyond yourself. So Pai Thailand and Chiang Mai was a big part of that for me. I spent a lot of time there. Um, I spent a lot of time in Bali. Um, I did a lot of meditation and practice on Murtasari Beach in Bali near Sanur, which is a very sacred location. Um, uh, so Bali would be really special for me. Um, that's where I did some of that corporate social responsibility documentary work. And I, I got to learn a lot about their water infrastructure and just a lot about their culture in general. So, you know, Bali was really special for me. Um, and then, gosh, you know, 
I'd have to just say for now, although I'm traveling a lot and I'm doing a lot of exploring, so there's a lot of places I'm in love with, like Spain is beautiful right now. But I'd say home here in Laguna Beach, California. Uh, it's where my wife and I live. Um, you know, I've been here in Laguna for, I don't know, like over 13 years or something like that, maybe a little over that. And my wife's been here her whole life. And it's just like this really beautiful small town vibe where we have like these mountain canyons that spill out onto the ocean. And it's very much like a, uh, like the California Riviera. It's really beautiful. People come here uh, from all over the world to experience this place. And, and we get to live here in this beautiful little, little cottage and, and explore it and, and experience it every day. So I feel really grateful and lucky to be here. So I'd say that would be my third location, hometown. Awesome. Thank you for, for sharing some of those places with us. Another question I have is, what do you think it requires or takes for humanity to learn from its past mistakes? Well, going back to the whole idea of vibration. So there's, there's a phenomenon in vibration called additive and subtractive synthesis. And once you have that first exchange of pressure express itself, it'll move two steps and, and move back to center, reinform itself, and then it'll double itself. It'll go back to center, reinform itself. It'll double itself again. So at those times where you're going back to center and you think, oh man, we're going backwards or we're not going anywhere, but every time it expresses itself into another harmonic mode, it's into a farther uh, informed state. So it's once again, going through that in rhythmic balanced interchange. So sometimes we, we, we might not seem like we're, we're really making progress or moving forward, but when you start to scale out, like what vibration likes to do and numbers and patterns and geometry, all that stuff is scalable, right? Like, you know, Buckminster Fuller says the jitterbug. Um, it, it's all perspective and it, it comes down to like, you know, are you looking from the outside in? Or are you looking from the inside out? Um, and so it all comes down to perspective. So in, in regards to humanity learning from the past, so that would mean us gaining perspective and maybe taking time to integrate perspectives rather than just continuously trying to rush forward? Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And finding that balance is tricky. Like I said in the beginning, like, oh, yeah, man, like, you know, you'd see me in, in the yoga studios daily and you'd see me doing the practice constantly. But then all of a sudden you get to a point where you have to survive and you're starting to, like, you know, make those sacrifices to, to support other things like this or your family as opposed to focusing on yourself. And, and, and so your, your perspectives get skewed and sometimes you feel lost. <laughs> and so that's why the practices and being out there and working on yourself is important because it will always bring you back to center, but that's not always easy. For example, like how easy is it right now to kind of find yourself in the middle of this like COVID scare and try to dig deep and, 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 and find where you're going to land in the next six months or a year and, and then that your business that you're trying to build is going to succeed or that that emotional level that you're trying to achieve is is going to to be achieved i mean it's uh it's it's tricky and so i think that's that's part of the human experience that's part of life is 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 experiencing those cycles the lives and deaths and and it's each time you become informed you you have a greater informed level of understanding and so um you know, we just got to take take the higher road and, and find out how we can how we can utilize those perspectives and greater understandings and and continue to grow, and, and utilize them and leverage them. And I think people like you and I, uh, Julian, you know, like we're doing a lot of work. We're we're putting out a lot for where we're going in in the future. We have pretty amazing networks uh, that we're working with that I think are going to bring. Um, people, gifts, skills, technologies forward that are going to actually help make a change. And so right now we have to like work harder than ever to find our center balance and, and project into the future. And so um, that's why I, I'm really grateful that you asked me on this call because it's kind of, it's kind of an exercise for me to kind of remember that, hey, we're, we're out here to, to, to do the good work and to communicate and project. And so um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. I have uh, one more question and then I want to know a little bit about what's next yeah. for, for you and what you're creating. And so this question is really like the core of how I started out with this podcast. And so people who tune in regularly know what's coming. I want to know your Earth vision for, for the spaceship planet Earth. And especially in the context of seven generations into the future. So seven generations are probably roughly 200, 210 years 
what do you what do you dream what do you dream up for this planet what's your what's your earth vision okay that's pretty far out um but what well, we, we can start here now yeah well but what we could do is look at it for you so you're saying seven so how i see that is like the seven chakras or i see that as like the seven notes in the octave and then you have the eighth right which you're all of a sudden into a higher iteration so um i see ourselves following some of those archetypes of the chakras or the notes uh the the, the scale in octaves um, and, and graduating to, to greater levels of, of being and understanding, uh, not only spiritually, spiritually, but physically and mentally. And so um, I see ourselves immediately now integrating some of these um, real world skills that we can, we can create change and, and innovate and, and create solution, solutions for the planet, which I'm really passionate about right now. I'm doing a lot of waterworks projects with renewable energies and use, utilizing some of these principles that I've taken uh, with me over the years to, to, to learn how to optimize these systems, to, to create, you know, um, optimize systems for uh, water desalination, uh, for uh, different types of water treatments and, and things like that. So what can we do to, to currently innovate and create um, efficiencies with the systems we have now? Okay, once we do that, then we're gonna start to see progress. Once we see the progress, then we can start to take a little bit more of those um, bigger visions that might be more lofty that aren't as grounded and start to kind of pull them towards center, right? And start to see what we can do to graduate to the next level of being, of, of, of where we can take um, technology or our social experiences or even even on a capital scale. Like, I don't really know what's gonna go on with the, the, with the, uh, the whole, you know, capitalistic agenda you know moving forward i think everything's in need of a tune-up right now and so we're in that phase where we're ready to pop into the next mode and and so everything needs a tune-up so everybody with skills and vision and passions to kind of push forward and, and tune things up come on bring it towards center let's let's figure it out and let's 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 graduate to the next step beautiful this is one of those questions where there's there's no right answer or wrong answer. It's just more about the curiosity of exploring what's what's in people. What's what do we see individually that then, as you say, we can bring to center. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for the time. I want to know as we're as we're kind of closing this this interview for today. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the co-founder of Kairos Space. There's a lot coming up. Uh, Kairos Space Technologies. Um, just give us like a brief kind of. Um, insight about what you guys are building and, 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 and maybe we'll, we'll have a longer exploration of that another time. Yeah. So over the years along the way, I've had a lot of like mentors and really amazing moments. Um, I've always had like these big shoes to fill um, in terms of meeting dynamic, amazing people and having the opportunity to work with them and mentor under them. And so um, what's come along with that is an amazing network of scientists and leaders in industry and people that have really um, brought forth some of these tools that we could bring um, into um, an innovative solution uh, type focused effort to help humanity and mostly around water and clean renewable energies. And so we're essentially a strategic innovation hub. You know, we provide non-chemical water treatment and green energy solutions to businesses, governments, and communities. And, and we do that by leveraging, you know, cutting edge technologies and, and, and scientific advancements. And so, um, you know, our focus is, um, you know, solutions for a sustainable planet. And, you know, you know, Julian, I know you and I met in Davos, Switzerland, which is a pretty amazing place to be. And, and, and we were there with our fingers on the pulse, really trying to see where things are going. And, you know, personally, from my perspective, we had a lot of time spent with like the sustainable delegate groups. We were around a lot of blockchain communities a lot of changing of the guard energy going around and people are looking for a new decentralized and redistributed type of way of being, whether it's technology, social capital, financial capital, people are looking for new ways to, um, to re-express the system once we kind of get past this, this excuse my uh, language, shit show here with the COVID-19. I think once that kind of like settles out, people are gonna be looking for those infrastructures. And so, um, you know, to support that green planet, blue planet. And so that's what Kairospace Technologies is. And so um, I've taken a CIO position, which is an innovative position. And so I get to kind of go out there and find the best technologies 
that have the most potential for innovation and scale them into a way that we can we can we can put them into existing systems like you know uh, for example clean renewable energies or or wastewater remediation to just the efficiencies by you know 15 20 25 percent and right that right there on that scale like we're seeing um uh, the the ability for for those percentages to make a large change on, on that scale on the planet and so um that's what we're focused on with Cairo space i think i'll come on the uh, the next show and, and i'll take you through um, our technology offerings and give you a really strong understanding of what we're doing how it's innovative and how we fit into the bigger picture Exciting. Can't wait for that. This is going to be a good one too. For now, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time for walking us a little bit through your own journey and like the, you know, the water education advocate that you are. Yeah. And if, if I may, um, I know you'll probably provide some links, but if you go to Pfeiffer369 at the Instagram, P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R 369, I like post all my like geometry and cymatics work and all my little uh, crazy bench work experiments to kind of show how these theoretical models play out into mechanical physics. Um, and it's, it's been a really fun place for me to express myself scientifically, artistically, and philosophically. And I think that's a good starting point for anybody who wants to just kind of maybe connect some points of what we were talking about today. And then, um, you know, Julian, I'll supply you with as much as you need for some of the other links as well. Excellent. Let's do all that. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. And that's that. Another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to a Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in, connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon.